to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And joining me at our Capitol Bureau this week are... Dan Nowicki, national political reporter. Maria Paletta, diversity and inequality issues reporter. Dustin Gardner, I cover the state legislature. And Ryan Randazzo, I'm a business reporter. This week on The Gaggle, we look at the state budget. What does the governor want and what will legislators approve? And we look at some controversial bills, including conversion therapy. But we start first with Martha McSally finally entering the U.S. Senate race in Arizona. Dan Wiki, that was finally announced on Friday after months of kind of public telegraphing of it and speculation and even people saying they'd been told she was going to run. So not really a lot of surprise. How has this changed the race? Well, I think the biggest surprise is which Martha McSally actually showed up on Friday. It's not the uh, kind of moderate, centrist Martha McSally who represented uh, the competitive, you know, second congressional district. It's a new right-leaning Martha McSally who's, you know, boasting of her ties with President Trump, her relationship with Trump, and really uh, taking a, a sharp right turn from what a lot of people uh, expected. Uh, you know, she announced on Friday, which came at the end of a, of a week that was already pretty eventful in the race, uh, when former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio uh, announced that he's running. So uh, basically, the, the uh, Senate race on the Republican side was completely shaken up. A couple of polls uh, give a pretty early look at what's happening. Two polls that have come out have shown McSally in the first place spot, followed by Arpaio and with Kelly Ward, who had been the GOP frontrunner uh, after Senator Jeff Flake announced he wasn't going to seek re-election. She's dropped to third place. So you talk about a new McSally. Part of it is she uses salty language. Right, yeah, that was the big question of the day that she was asked a hundred times. Uh, I was getting a little irritated, I think, by the reporters. Uh, you know, welcome to, to, to Senator John McCain's world in 2016 where he was asked at every stop uh, 40 different ways you know about something trump had said so uh it's gonna be a long campaign if if martha mcsally doesn't want to respond to what trump said but she defended it initially as uh you know the uh the com the vulgar comment that president trump was said to have made at an immigration meeting at the white house and she kind of defended it as like, oh, well, it's salty language. I, I'm a fighter pilot. I, I talk salty, too, sometimes, especially in private settings. Uh, I asked her, I go, well, it's not just salty. It's also racist connotations to what he said, given the, the, the particular countries that he aimed the remark at. And she was like, well, I hear you. And, and I, I, I fight against stereotypes and generalizations against people, too. But but in her announcement, I guess what I was referring to is that she said, I'm, I'm telling Republicans to grow a pair of ovaries. Right. And yeah, she actually used the term salty language to defend Trump's comment, though. Right. No, I, I, yeah, I know. But, but it, like, she seems to be saying that she thinks she needs to talk in a similar fashion that we've heard Trump talk in order to appeal to that base. That that's what they want to hear. Right, yeah, she kind of uh, elaborated a little bit on the video on her, at the end of her announcement tour, uh, which went through uh, Tucson, Phoenix, and Prescott on Friday. And she said, well, she just thought it'd be kind of a clever attention-getting uh, way of, of uh, you know, saying, you know, grow up, you know, get tough. Uh, she aimed the, the grow pair of ovaries remark in her video at uh, Washington, D.C. Republicans. And uh, Mitch McConnell, the, the Senate Majority Leader, has named her as one of his top recruits. I asked, I asked her about that, and, and she was uh, 
and kind of bristled and said, you know, nobody recruited me. I recruited myself. So she's kind of like distancing herself from Mitch McConnell, embracing Trump, which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people thought was going to happen. But I'm guessing she'll take his money. Uh, why not? Why not? The check's clear. So uh, you mentioned the poll, and it shows that uh, Kelly Ward, who had been the only candidate for months after uh, Jeff Flake said he was not going to run for re-election, had dropped a third. Um, it appears that Arpaio seems to be biting into her share of the vote more than McSally's. Right. I, I think so. It's uh, Arpaio and Ward are, are kind of going after the same right-wing base. That's the same base that you know would support anybody who was running against John McCain, anybody who was running against Jeff Flake. And it seems like in the at least in the in the early going that in the race for those voters, uh, Arpaio has edged out Ward for them. But uh, as I mentioned, you know, Mark McSally seems interested in, in also pursuing those voters. So uh, I don't know, maybe uh, McSally can bridge uh, those two uh, gaps in the Arizona Republican Party. Flake and McCain never really could do that. But it uh, seems like she's really pursuing uh, the Trump voter as well. She said, I asked her if, uh, uh, you know, she thought she might get a Trump endorsement. You know, there's a lot of speculation that, that well, probably Joe Arpaio would be the one who would get it. He's already gotten the pardon from Trump. Uh, but she says, no, I think that, that I, if anyone gets a Trump endorsement, it should be me. But If you get the pardon, the endorsement's half off. So, <laughs> Right, the full ensemble, right? Last question on, on the race. What, um, there's been a lot of speculation. Well, certainly Jeff Flake keeps saying he thinks Arpaio is just, He's not a real candidate. He's going to drop out. Let's say he were to drop out. What? How do you see that playing out? Well, uh, that's what makes it a little bit interesting. You, you would think a lot of our Pio voters might go back to Kelly Ward. Um, but as I mentioned, McSally is also pursuing them. So uh, McSally has the advantage in, in that nobody, you know, she's her identity is not as well developed, you know, in the minds of voters. So she can define herself statewide probably any way she wants to. And she seems to be pursuing, I'm a tough fighter pilot. Uh, I stood up to the Pentagon when I was in the Air Force. I'm tough. Uh, I talked to I talk to Trump in, in language that he understands and appreciates the language of a fighter pilot. Um, so we'll see if that resonates. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe she could give Ward and Arpaio a, a run for some of those voters too. Friday, Governor Doug Ducey un unveiled his proposed budget, and uh, Ryan Randazzo, you were there for that, and what were sort of the highlights that they were trying to play up as far as what they think makes this uh, uh, a good plan? Well, they've made no secret they want to uh, be recognized for their contributions to education. Um, we asked them in, in a meeting with the governor's staff, you know, what should the major takeaway be? And they said, education, education, education. And I think if we asked them for the fourth most important thing, they would have said education. So um, they build it as restoring all of the cuts that were uh, 
described as recession era cuts to, to state education funding. But as people had the, the holiday weekend to mull it over, we saw this morning on the floor um, Democrats really debating whether everything had been restored to the budget that had been cut in um, Ducey's first budget as governor. So as far as dollar figures go or a percentage increase, what are they saying? What would it be? Well, there'd be $100 million for um, school capital next next year, in the, in the next fiscal year. Um, and again, Democrats were debating that, saying, you know, some of the increase or what's being billed as an increase would be needed anyways just to keep up with student population growth. Um, there's also $88 million in there for new school construction. Um, that would involve bonding, and that uh, turned out to be a little bit controversial. I was surprised, at least. It was controversial with conservative lawmakers at the Capitol who are a little bit uneasy with um, taking on debt. Well, this might continue some of the tension last year when they were going to let higher ed access some of their bonding capacity. And some were saying, well, the state's pretty leveraged as it is. Is that kind of what was echoed here? Whereas like the state's got a lot of debt already. We may not need to take on more. Yeah, the governor's office um, is saying that they only want to take on new debt because they're uh, retiring much of the debt that was used for new schools in the last decade. And um, lawmakers asked for a lot more detail on that this morning. They want to know exactly what the debt payments are going to be, um, what they would be without the the new bonding, and what they will be with, with the bonding. And those are figures that we didn't see when the budget was released last week. So is it fair to say that it looks like, as far as the debate on education goes, it's going to be, well, we're back to where we were pre-recession, but when we account for growth or when we break it down on per-pupil spending, maybe Democrats are going to say we're not really there, and that's going to be kind of the one of the key points of debate. Is that how you see it playing out, maybe? Definitely. Democrats and educational leaders who have been sort of at odds with the governor are not happy. Um, they're happy that their issue is getting attention and that it's the top four most important things in the budget, but they don't see it. this as enough money. And then on the other side, you have um, some of the Republican lawmakers who think it might be a little bit too much. So the governor promised that every budget he would have a tax cut what is the tax cut going to be in this budget? Um, well, there is a uh, increased exemption for veterans. Uh, there was an exemption for veterans pensions passed in 1989. Governor's staff has said that that uh, really has just eroded over time thanks to inflation. So they want to increase that um, that deduction for, I, I think they said 50,000 veterans in the state would benefit from that. I was a little bit surprised myself at the size of the impact on the state budget, which was in the neighborhood of $7 million out in 2021 when, when that would be fully enacted. Surprised by how small or? I was surprised by how big of a hit it would be to the state budget um, just to increase a tax exemption for, for that small population. Um, so what were some of the other highlights you think, like for, I mean, well, what are some things that maybe that people would see in their day-to-day -day lives or even some of the big picture uh, impacts? Once you get beyond education, it's a really middle-of-the-road budget. There's not a lot of extreme things in there, but um, some things that will impact people, as, as we all know, we've had um, dozens of wrong-way crashes in the metro Phoenix area, so there's some money for a night watch. Um, where there'll be more uh, officers on the roads uh, in the middle of the night when people tend to be impaired and driving in the wrong direction down uh, State Route 51 and other local roads. There's about uh, $25 million to preemptively seal roads so that they don't go bad and need to be shut down to fix potholes. Um, 
and that's billed as sort of a money saving feature is, is do some of that uh, preventative maintenance ahead of schedule. And then as far as what you see, um, you know, your, your state at work for you, there's two little known state parks, Oracle State Park, north of Tucson in the foothills of the Catalinas. That's a day use area right now and they wanna add some cabins and camping spots there for people to enjoy. And another um, heavily used area of the Colorado River near Parker, uh, there's a park called Buckskin Mountain and they're gonna make some uh, needed improvements there as well. So uh, how about state workers? A- any inkling there might be bonuses or pay raises for, for anybody on the state payroll? We asked if there were uh, pay raises for state employees, and the answer we got was there is no across-the-board pay increase for state employees. But that's what we heard in years past when, of course, then the people who were appointed by the governor saw very hefty raises. So that will be at the discretion um, of the departments if they choose to give raises to their key employees is what they told us. Did they say – what I, I trying to remember in my own mind when the last time there was a pay raise and – I mean, it's been years, I guess. Yeah, longer than I've been covering this, for sure. <laughs> well, certainly longer than that. Um, and then what other, do you see another key point of debate that, uh, I mean, overall, do Republicans, this is a budget that Republicans are going to support. Like, it doesn't, it's not uh, increasing spending by an inordinate amount. From their perspective, Democrats, of course, would probably like to see some more spending in there. Do, do you see any other kind of debate, lines of debate developing? Not not outside of education, because that's where the vast majority of all the new spending is going. Um, so there'll probably be some nibbling around the edges of what dollars get shifted from one department to another. But it looks like the, the key thing that's going to be debated on this budget is um, how to allocate that money uh, for education and whether or not to go forward with all that bonding. So, Maria Paletta, um, among the legislation being introduced at, at the legislature is a bill that, while it likely won't get a hearing or maybe go anywhere, it certainly uh, has the potential of sparking a, a loud debate, and that's about conversion therapy. Can you talk about a bit what that, what that is and, and who's putting this forward? Yes, so conversion therapy, um, conversion therapists basically claim to reduce um, or eliminate um, same-sex attraction. Uh, It can apply to sexual orientation, gender identity. It's essentially attempts to change that. And Senator Sean Bowie on Friday introduced uh, Senate Bill 1160. That would bar mental health professionals from practicing conversion uh, therapy. It would only apply to minors, though, so those 18 and under. And what is it? What is this kind of therapy look like? So a lot of people, when they think about conversion therapy, think of some of the harsher methods from the past. That could involve everything from electric shock to inducing vomiting to create negative associations with feelings of same-sex attraction and so forth. In terms of uh, modern-day practices, it can involve, you know, talk therapy, um, again, negative associations, but generally lighter than what I was talking about before. Um, Sometimes it's therapy through religious religious organizations, group conversations, that sort of thing. Um, I did, uh, while I was doing interviews for this, though, hear um, a significant number of accounts of negative practices in terms of, um, you know, telling the patient that they will only be able to have a happy and fulfilling life if they're able to overcome this, um, which then, of course, can, can create issues if the person feels like they failed. So uh, most medical professional organizations have condemned this as, and said that it can even be destructive to the individual participating, correct? 
Absolutely. So essentially all major medical, mental health, counseling organizations in the U.S., um, some abroad international organizations as well, have discredited conversion therapy. They say the science that it's based on is, quote, questionable at best. Um, they say, all of them say that it's um, ineffective. Most of them, like you said, also say that it can be harmful. Um, they tie it to depression, anxiety, uh, self-destructive behavior, and even suicide. And the link to um, self-destructive behavior and suicide is kind of what led to a nationwide push to get um, these bans passed in other states. Nine states have passed them uh, so far in the Trevor Project, which is um, a national organization that does crisis intervention and suicide prevention for LGBT youth, um, is also sort of behind this effort in Arizona, as well as some other states that are introduced, have either already introduced similar bills or are expected to in the next few weeks. He said the boy said he acknowledges that this is a long shot, this getting taken seriously. So what does he hope comes about by introducing it? Yeah, so he said um, that obviously his top goal is to protect LGBT youth, um, but he realizes, giving the conservative makeup of um, the state legislature, that it could be an uphill battle. He did say that he wanted to at least introduce it to sort of spark the conversation, to let people know that this is still going on, um, to discuss the science, to discuss the um, effects uh, related to conversion therapy. It's interesting, though, because uh, polling that was conducted I think almost exactly a month ago, found that a majority of Arizona voters would support a conversion therapy ban, about 59%, and then it was about 20% who said they would actively oppose one. So, Dustin, as far as uh, uh, bills that may or may not get a hearing, you're looking at, at some of those involving uh, regulating uh, firearms. And what have you found? Yeah, so I'm looking at a set of bills sponsored by two representatives from the Tucson area, Rand Representative Randy Faris um, and Representative Daniel Hernandez. Um, they've both sponsored a number of measures dealing with gun regulation, and they have an interesting kind of personal story that led to their advocacy in this area. Both of them were directly involved with the response to the 2011 shooting near Tucson um, that involved Representative Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords. Hernandez was her intern at the time and rushed to her side after the shooting and actually put his hand over her, her head wound to slow the bleeding until paramedics arrived. Um, and then Faris was one of the trauma surgeons that helped save Giffords's life when she was rushed to the hospital. Um, but they haven't had much success in the legislature. Um, in the last three years, Faris has sponsored more than 10 bills dealing with gun restrictions, and not one of those bills has gotten a hearing yet. So Dan, you covered the Giffords, the aftermath of that uh, assassination attempt down there. Does that surprise you at all, given the broader reaction in the state at that time? Uh, well, not really. Uh, right after the the shooting, one of the you know we had very uh, very uh, ambitious coverage of like every issue, uh, every angle of the gun issue following uh, the assassination attempt on on Congressman Giffords. And one of the the stories we looked at was kind of just the grip that that guns have on this state. And uh, you know, so it's, e even though. It was the scene of a of a horrific mass shooting. It didn't really change too many attitudes about guns in Arizona. So what do these lawmakers say, Dustin? I mean, is this something they're going to continue to pursue just because they think it's important to keep bringing it up even if it faces unlikely odds of passing or even getting a hearing? 
Yeah, I asked Representative Faris why, you know, he keeps sponsoring these bills if there's not a chance of success. And, you know, in his mind, he said that he, he while he doesn't expect the conservative, you know, dominated legislature to, to pass some of these bills, he wants there at least to be hearings to start a conversation to potentially find some common ground. Um, and one of the measures that um, Faris and Hernandez are sponsoring this year could be something that some moderate Republicans might support, um, and that is a bill that would ban bump stocks, which are devices um, that accelerate the rate of fire on semi-automatic rifles so they can fire at a rate similar to a fully automatic uh, weapon. And they hope, you know, in the wake of, you know, the horrific shooting in Las Vegas, that that measure like that might find some bipartisan support. Um, But we'll see if any of that actually materializes. For our final segment, uh, what are you watching for this week, Dan? Well, I'll be keeping tabs on these fast-moving developments in the Senate race, as well as uh, tracking Senator Jeff Flake's Don Quixote-like uh, crusade to uh, take President Trump to task on these civility and coarseness of debate issues. I am working on a story looking at uh, text to 911 services in Arizona. That's something that's been discussed for a few years now uh, and has been implemented elsewhere in the U.S., but is just starting to sort of um, get into the process in Arizona, and that's very important to the the deaf and hard of hearing community. I'm looking at the report dealing with allegations of sexual harassment in the state house, a report um, that an outside investigator's leading is expected to be finished in the near future, and that could come as late as this week. Well, uh, during his state of the state, the governor called out the cosmetology board for being bullies, so I am uh, taking a look at the bullies at the cosmetology board and how they enforce uh, health and safety regulations. Uh, That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. I'm Dan Nowicki, the National Political Reporter. I'm at Dan Nowicki, just like my byline. Maria Paletta, my Twitter is at M-P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. I'm at Dustin Gardner, and that's G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. I'm Ryan Randazzo, and I'm at Utility Reporter. Thanks to the politics team. Our production team is Jojo Huckaba and Haley Sanchez. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. We'll see you next week.